The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 2nd, the New Year, New Us edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is six, and we live in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Eliza, who is nine years old, and Leo, who is five. Thanks so much for joining us, Gabe. I don't get to meet most of the Slate folks outside of Dan, so this is exciting for me. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's cool to be back on the show. I'm really psyched to do this. Of course. And Dan's not feeling well, so we're sending him good wishes and hoping that he has a speedy recovery so that he can start off his new year on the right foot. So today we're going to be talking about our New Year's parenting resolutions. You know, all the things that we come up with at the beginning of the year that we abandoned by April. Um, and we're also going to be taking a question from a mom who's fed up with her husband's napping schedule. Should a four-year-old go unsupervised while he gets a few minutes of shut-eye? <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine what I have to say about that. Or perhaps you can't, because um, I'm very pro-naps. And as always, we're going to do triumphs and fails and recommendations. So, Gabe, do you have a triumph or fail for us this week? That's a good question. And to be honest, I was hoping I could get your help on how to categorize this one. Um, So it's definitely an intervention that I made that worked out fine, but I'm not sure if I did this right or not. So Leo, as I said, is now five years old Mm -hmm. and he's a great kid. He's in kindergarten. He's one of the youngest kids in his class because he has a summer birthday. So he's with kids who are generally older than him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and his birthday is in July. July what? Uh, July 12th. Okay. Since I've moved to California, I've decided to become like all yoga, crystal, incense, and astrology. So to listen to you talk about him, I would like to know his sign. So thank you. Yes. So he's a oh, cancer. Sure. Yeah, he, he, he's a cancer. And since I live in uh, in Brooklyn and in the East Coast and am Generation X and, and proud of it, <laughs> uh, I think of astrology as being bullshit uh, and didn't know that he was a cancer. So uh, that's good to know. Um, I think of cancer as being a fatal disease. He no. doesn't, I hope, have cancer, uh, but he is, according to some uh, primitive superstition, a cancer. Uh, so he's in kindergarten with kids who are much older than him. Mostly that's fine. He has friends. He keeps up socially. He's, he's doing great. Um, the one thing that has been sort of a marker of his relative youth has been his inability to pronounce the letter R. He does that thing that many little kids do. All their words come out just fine, except that the letter R comes out as a letter W. He'll say, who flamed Wadger Wabbit, for instance. And it's adorable, right? It's It's so cute. And then at the same time, like by the time he's at this age, when the other kids are all pronouncing their R's correctly, then you start to feel like, well, this is really cute. And it's not going to be cute forever. And at a certain point, I sort of hope that he learns to pronounce the letter R properly. If he doesn't, then that's fine, obviously. I'm sure there are listeners out there who have a a soft R or liquid R or whatever they call it. Uh, And obviously that is fine. But um, in any case, I was thinking like maybe at some point it's time for him to start saying his R's properly and he wasn't doing it. And so I got curious as to whether like, you know, I wasn't at the point of like calling a speech therapist or anything like that. So I asked him, so when you say who framed Roger Rabbit, can you say who framed Roger Rabbit? And he goes, 
who framed Roger Rabbit. And when he's trying to do it, then he can do it just fine. Can you say Batman and Robin, not Batman and Wobbin? Yeah, Batman and Robin. Every time he says it like he's now the host of The Price is Right or something like that, all of his R's, when he's thinking about it, he can do it, but it, there's like a really big warm-up. It seems to me, as an amateur speech therapist, it seems to me that he can indeed make the R sound. He just is in the habit of not doing it. So I asked him about this like a couple times. I wasn't going to like correct him every time he says the letter R as the letter W. I let it go. But then a couple times a day, I would be like, ah, can you say Batman and Robin? And he would say Batman and Robin. And then we would go on with building Lego or whatever it is we were doing. And then I sort of forgot about it, stopped thinking about it. And then uh, on one of the first days of our Christmas vacation, maybe the day before we left for Christmas vacation, I was thinking, you know, there's something about Leo. He seems more grown up lately. There's something about him that seems a little bit more mature. And I was like, hey, hang on a second. Say Batman and Robin. And he said, Batman and Robin. And I said, say who framed Roger Rabbit? And he said, who framed Roger Rabbit? And I was like, do you realize that you're now saying the letter R like R and not like W? And he got this look of just wonderment and delight on his face because he hadn't known that he was doing it. It had just sort of happened unconsciously as he was talking normally. And I was like, you didn't even know you were doing that, did you? And he was like, no, I didn't. And he was so thrilled about it. And then ever since, he says his R's in the grown-up way and it's not a thing. I think that's good. At the same time, I sort of miss the little kid who used to say the W sound for R. And so it makes me a little sad that we've lost that. And I slightly worry that now I'm the dad who was like pushing him to grow up before he wanted to. Grow. I don't In any case, is this a triumph or a fail? You tell me. <sighs> I've got so many emotions here. Um, uh, at one point, I thought, I wonder if anyone's ever been kicked off the show before. Perhaps we'll make history and I'm going to kick you off the show. Because, <laughs> I was going to say, cut his mic, cut his mic. Because you're describing <laughs> the one of the sweetest, best parts of having a three, four, or five-year-old. You know, somebody who yeah. now has language, you know, but they can't use it quite correctly. But you know exactly what they mean. And it's so precious and so sweet. I'll never forget, my daughter said Lello instead of Yellow for uh, until she was almost six. All the baby words had dropped off and Lello stayed. And I think on yeah. some level, it was because I liked it so much, you yeah. know, but I always told her, I love how you say yellow, you know, as opposed to telling her, say it, I want you to say it the right way. And I, I guess because I'm wanting so desperately to hold on to the baby part, the change between five and six and six to seven is so beautiful and devastating all at once. Yeah. Um, but I suppose we can file that as a triumph, not because of your uh, incessant bullying, which, by the way, <laughs> I thought this story ended with him asking to see who framed Roger Rabbit. And that's <laughs> which is not necessarily a movie for a child his age, <laughs> but something that he could be quite naturally interested in seeing because he's been saying who framed Roger Rabbit for the past six months. Um, but since you said that he was delighted and smiled at the recognition that he had now conquered this mountain that you told him was before him. <laughs> we can say that that's a triumph. Uh, so, all right. So thank you. That was a relief because I would hate for you to have to do the rest of the show by yourself. <laughs> it would be like uh, Peter Griffin's, you know, what really grinds my gears <laughs> for like 20 minutes. So how about you? I just came back late last night from New Orleans. 
I went on Christmas night, Christmas morning. My little one woke up. She opened her presents. We went to IHOP. That's where she wanted to go. Not that there's a ton of options on Christmas, but I thought, you know, we can go to a hotel. A lot of them have restaurants and they'll be having brunches and stuff. And she's like, no, mommy, I want to go to IHOP. And I was like, okay, she's actually asking me to spend $20 on the entire meal as opposed to, (laughs) you know, a a fancy production. That's a good thing. Uh, Huge win. Huge win. And so then she went to her dad's house and I packed my bag and I went to New Orleans for four days and it was very nice. I planned this trip months ago with the intention of I'm going to write and meditate and do a little, you know, personal work. And and then in the evenings, I'll go out, have a nice meal, dance. I had work, like things that I wanted to work on, working on my book proposal and working on just just writing. Right. I'm going to go work. Who the fuck goes to New Orleans to work? Mm. I could tell you who doesn't. Me. Because mm-hmm. guess what I didn't do in New Orleans? <laughs> open my <laughs> laptop a single time. I didn't even open it. it. It just stayed in my suitcase. I read. I journaled. I, I did do some meditating and some, you know, some stuff that you would write off as insignificant because you're a Gen Xer and you all stopped believing in Santa Claus a long time ago, but us millennials still have, (laughs) we still like to believe that there's something out there uh, bigger and better than us. And that if we use some crystals and some uh, birthdays, (laughs) some info about our birthdays, we can tap into it rather. I did all that stuff. Every debaucherous thing that you think of when you think of New Orleans. And I killed myself with food yesterday. I waited till the last day because I had to be done with all the debauchery. And then yesterday I let myself really eat. And I didn't work. And so that in and of itself is a fail, even though you could say, hey, mom, you needed a vacation. You know, you needed a break. That's cool. But I also did not write my Karen feeding column for this week. And guess when I found out that it was due early? When I was walking in to do the podcast today. And it's already late. Huh. So Well, this would have been a colossal fail except your usual co-host on this podcast, who also happens to be the editor of the Care and Feeding column, has pneumonia. So it's a triumph because he's not here to give you a hard time about it. It's, you know what? And you would think that would make it better. I feel so much worse because Dan sent me an email this morning before I'd even gotten, because I'm on West Coast time, they're on East Coast time. So I'm always catching up on emails and I sleep in. I did catch some emails around seven and eight while still rolling around in bed. And Dan sent me an email before I'd even gotten to the pneumonia email. I had one from him that said, I will edit you from my deathbed. So so this was a triumph on the part of Dan Coyce, maybe, and a fail on the part of you. Yes. Dan, it racks up yet another uh, triumph. Um, We're starting the counter over at the beginning of the year. You're going to meet the new year, new me next week. Because <laughs> I right. ain't find her in New Orleans. I am uh, going to stay out of this one. <laughs> uh, that's going to be my triumph. It's going to be the triumph <laughs> of staying out of this one. My fail ties to what we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. And also the spirit of Dan's book, which I'm reading. And I'm not just bringing that up to try and earn some brownie points <laughs> mm. <laughs> with Dan while I'm probably on his nerves at the moment. For those of you all who haven't started it yet or who uh, got a copy of it for the holidays and will be reading along with us on Facebook, Dan's book, How to Be a Family, in which he tells the story of this journey that he and his wife and their two children took living in four 
very different parts of the world over the course of a year to reconnect uh, to themselves as a family uh, and and discover some habits and practices that really work for them uh, because they found that what they were doing on the hamster wheel of school and extracurriculars and jobs and responsibilities wasn't. And I relate so greatly, you know, to the burnout and, and the sense of I see my child all the time, but are we having quality time? I'm working hard. I'm doing work that I like, but man, at some point, this is supposed to be a lot more fun and enjoyable than it is. So anyway, Dan, thank you for helping me through uh, this process of burnout that has led to me letting you down. (laughs) You didn't let me down. So in your absence, yes, you have racked up yet another triumph. That's two for you this week. Two for you, Dan. (laughs) All right. So let's do some business. Slade's Parenting Newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our great parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much more. It is a personal email from Dan. Uh, It will land in your inbox each week. All you have to do is sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Also, check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. It's a really fun community. It's well moderated, so it doesn't get out of control. And I am planning to keep my New Year's resolution of spending more time in there because I am so deeply intimidated by Facebook. It has not been my social network of choice. And now I feel like a very old person trying to jump into a space that I vaguely remember from when I used to be cool. Um, but you all have been very warm and welcoming in the parenting group. So I'm, I'm happy to be in there. So please, if you haven't joined the Facebook group, do it, do it, do it. I just want to, first of all, second that remark, Facebook group is great. And uh, second of all, to those of you who are already members of the Facebook group, I just took a look in the queue, and it seems like all of us have been on vacation. So there's a lot of pending posts. What that means is if you submit a post, someone here looks at it and makes sure that it's not garbage before we approve it. And sometimes during the uh, holiday season, that system breaks down a little bit. So that may be frustrating. But to those of you who aren't members, you can think of that as your commitment to the fact that there will be no garbage posts in the Slate Parenting Facebook group. So that's the upside. Do you ever reject posts just because you're like, mm, that one's really annoying? You know, I've what? done that like twice in my life and it's quite <laughs> satisfying as an exercise of power. Uh-huh. And I'm enjoying sort of swooping back into the show and getting to admit that, get it off my chest and then disappearing and not reading the emails that we're going to get about it. It's right. So that everyone will believe that it was Dan or I who rejected yeah. their <laughs> Yeah. No. Now, if, if your post doesn't show up, you can blame me. You That's can blame, fine. Gabe. blame Gabe. Yep. I uh, I have not rejected any for being annoying. There have been a couple that were annoying that I was just like, ooh, don't want to deal with this. So I just skipped over them and left it ostensibly for you to come in mm. <laughs> and actually have the courage to hit the hammer. So in Slate Plus today, we're going to be looking back on who we thought we might be as parents and compare that to who we actually are as parents. Here's a quick sneak peek of that conversation that you will get to hear if you have Slate Plus. I can't believe I'm still so much the person I was at 15 or 25, or 30, Hmm. you know? I don't know, I thought I'd be like super grown up by now, and I'm not. To hear segments like that, and to get ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program, and is a great... See, now I'm talking like you're... Yeah, you're talking talking like like Leo. (laughs) Slate Plus... It's great. It's a great way to support us. And for just $35 in your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. 
So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, which we really appreciate, go to Slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. So the new year has just begun. We are going into a fresh decade, depending upon who you ask, because as I understand the numbers, there's one through 10 and then there's 11 through 20. Oh, we're not doing this. Okay, Talking I'm about just... OK Boomer. <laughs> Jesus. Well, there's just so much into this whole new decade, new decade. Uh, I'm like, it's a new set of numbers. I suppose the numbers will start with a two as opposed to a one. Yes, the only thing that matters is the dial turning over on the odometer. There's no other significance to any of this. Perhaps. Like people said that, do you remember in the year 2000? I don't know if you're old enough to remember the year 2000. But in the year 2000, people were like, oh, it's not actually a new century until 2001. Shut up. <laughs> All four of the numbers are changing at once. That's a new century right there. That's true. I do remember that. And I was young enough to be like, yeah, it's a new everything. So I need to tap back in. Now that I'm 35 and washed up, apparently, um, I'm picky about things like this. But it is uh, a new set of numbers. As people often do at this time of year, they are setting themselves up for disappointment and creating a whole huge heap of plans and things and a lot of pressure to be fitter and happier and smarter and wealthier and better parents and all that stuff. And by people, I mean me. I'm going to become an entirely different person this year. I'm really excited about it. I'm transforming. I'm changing. And I want to know what kind of New Year's resolutions you're making for yourself, Dan. Uh, Dan. Aww. Aww. You missed Dan, Dan, don't you? I'm sorry. He'll be back next week. All white men uh, are kind of the same to me. I, I can understand that. I uh, the, the, the New Year's resolutions I'm making are like there's all the ordinary ones about like I've never exercised in my life. And like I'm now at the age where that's no longer like cute or like an eccentricity. It's like that is going to kill me at some point soon. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to start doing that. There's all that ordinary like personal stuff. But in terms of parenting, like I was thinking for this show, what is the parenting stuff that I should do differently? Because I, you know, I, I think I'm basically a fine parent. Like if you are a longtime listener to this show, you will know that I'm not like the kind of parent who's just constantly beating himself up about his own inadequacies as a parent. Um, But I was thinking, what would be like, given where me and the kids are now, what would be a good thing for me to change? And one of the things that I realized is the, the kids are nine and five, and that's an age where like they can play together, but there's a big gap between a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. In terms yeah. of like sensibility, those are two really different ages in a way that maybe wasn't true a couple years ago. And they're good at playing together and we figure out things to do together or Eliza likes to read. So sometimes like I'm doing stuff with Leo because he can't read and she can just be off and reading. And but she's a nine-year-old the- girl. Yeah, but one of the things about that is she can roam a long way. Like, I can look around and she, not physically, but like in terms of what she's reading and thinking about and caring about and talking to her friends about, like, I don't have as much of a bead on that as I did a little bit ago. And obviously that's natural. And at some point she'll be a teenager and won't want to tell me about anything. And like she needs to develop her independence and all of that is fine. But it did make me think I should do more stuff with the kids separately. Like Mm -hmm. I should do stuff with her. I should take her to movies that are much too grown up for him. Or I should like, I read to him because he can't read. I should start reading to her and find a book that like we both want to read and read that to her. Like I should carve out space 
for the two of us individually that he's not a part of because I already have that with him. Yeah. Um, so that I can like, you know, we could have a really good conversation now about a book or a movie, I feel like. And uh, so that that's my big resolution for the year in terms of parenting, I think. How about you? I think that's a great one. And speaking of Dan, because we're always speaking of Dan, uh, I, I recall him mentioning or, or telling a story that involved him reading to his girls, you know, and their big mm-hmm. girls. And I thought that was really cool. And or maybe it was a letter writer who referenced reading to their children and Dan echoed that he does the same thing. But either way, I think that's really nice. And, um, you know, as a mom to a new reader, we mix it up where sometimes she reads to me and I read to her and I'd really gotten more into listening to her read. But I realized that like how important it is for, I don't know. I, I, I think that's one of the fondest childhood memories I have is my mother reading to me. And it's not something that I really allowed her to do when I was old enough to read chapter books by myself. You know, it was just, Mm. oh, God, mom, that's so lame. But I I wish that I, you know, had appreciated that more. And I think that's something that your daughter will, you know, hopefully find to be a lot cooler uh, than I did back then, because that is very cool. And spending that separate time together is important. Um, you parents of multiples, I often wonder how you do it. Uh, and I know, knowing that there's going to be a, a very tremendous uh, age range between Naima, who's already uh, six and a half, and future baby that I've decided, even though I know you don't do astrology and uh, <laughs> all mm-hmm. the weird spirituality stuff, but I've already decided that I'm welcoming a new child in uh, 2021 or 2022. So oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, first boyfriend and then we're going to get engaged and then we're yeah. going to get married and then I'm going to have a baby. So I've got oh, a very busy great. three years ahead of me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this will be great for the show too. I it think will people be. are going to love watching this journey. Yeah. I know. So if anybody knows any gainfully employed men in the Los Angeles area, uh, six, two or better. Um, Cause the first one's dad is tall. So I don't want to fuck things up you know, when I'm tall. So I, I, <laughs> I can post some pictures kind of like what I have in mind. I'd like for my kids to match. So <laughs> Wow. <laughs> he can't look, you know, he can't look too, too different from the last one, but not just like him because I dated a guy who looked just like my ex and that was weird. So I didn't want to go out with him anywhere. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll get to follow that journey. But in addition, I guess, to resolving to finding perfect love and preparing to have another baby in a few years uh, this year, as far as my parenting resolutions go, I really want to increase the quality of the time that I spend with my daughter. Um, And again, like Dan's book really got me thinking about that. I have always included Naima in parts of my life that weren't necessarily designed for children. And part of that was wanting to have more time with her. I'm a career mom. I'm not a working mom. There's a difference. And that's not to disparage, you know, folks that are clocking in to a job that they're pretty dispassionate about and clocking out and not having to take work home or think about it, you know. Um, but there is a difference, right? There's a difference in how work impacts your life when you're working in media and working in a capacity where you're, you know, invested, right? Like you care. Yeah. For much of my career, you know, during Naima's life, I had to follow the news cycle. I had to be prepared to file something or edit something at the drop of a hat. You know, it didn't just go away um, because we were off the clock. You know, she's had to deal with me having my phone out and reading emails and responding to things, right? 
totally. Both me and the kid's mom are in media stuff. I always think of it like the upside is we get to have interesting jobs that we find engaging and interesting. And the downside is at any time there could be something that like you just have to jump on it. And and that's the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've made some changes uh, in my life where I'm no longer required to jump in that way. Um, oh, that's good. But yeah, but I mean, there was it was also a great sacrifice. Like I don't have a nine to five anymore, so I don't have you know some of that. I pay a whole lot more money for health insurance than the rest of y'all do. Um, mm-hmm. But it has improved my quality of life in certain ways. But it also requires me to still work quite a bit. So when you're freelancing and when you're working for multiple clients and projects. Um, she still has to see me with the phone out. You know, she still has to come sit with me in a coffee shop and color while I'm writing an article or coming with me on a work trip where it's like, yay, there's a plane and we're going to a place. It's like, oh, when we get there, it's going to be kind of boring. Mommy's working, you know? And like, even with that, I think it's great that she's watched me, you know, and her dad and stepmom like have cool jobs that we care about, you know, um, and that she's got to come to work with us. Naima came to work with me at Ebony Magazine for like the first two months of her life. She sat next to my desk. Wow. I came back from maternity leave. I did like six or eight weeks off. And then she sat next to me for the next two months. She's been on the podcast. Everywhere I've worked, she's been there, you know, and that's been great. But when I think about just the quantity of really quality time that we have together each week, you know, like what are we doing that's just about us? It's not, you know taking her to a class or, you know, me working and her just being present and trying to be quiet or us just in the house trying to, you know, eat something really quickly and go to bed so she can get up for school the next morning. And I'll Mm. admit that my desire to have constant time with her has led me to be somewhat lax with taking days off from school, you know, like every so often, like, hey, whatever, it's just kindergarten, it's just pre-K, it's just first grade, you know, like cough, cough, all right, cool, you know, just come be with me today. But that's not a sustainable plan because school is, you know, becoming more rigorous and they have laws and stuff about that. Um, So yeah, I I guess what I really want to figure out is like how to maximize the quality of the time that I have with my child, especially with joint custody, you know, like it is cool as that is for me that I get to have time to myself and to work on other things. It also like kind of increases the pressure on me, like when she's there, you know, like that we're really taking advantage of this, that we're not just two people who happen to be sleeping in the same house at the same time, or that we're just eating Mm. a meal together because, you know, we both had to eat, but they were really enjoying each other's company. And I also want to be um, more intentional with my word. Uh, when I speak to my daughter, which for the most part, you know, I, I think we as a collective team, as myself, my co-parents, uh, are, are doing a pretty good job with discipline. You know, we don't do physical discipline. We try not to yell. Um, we really do talk to her like she is a person with thoughts and feelings and, and opinions that matter. You know, not just somebody to chastise or correct. Um, but that we need to hear her perspective and for her to understand her choices and why she's made them and to be able to articulate them to us. Um, You know, but there are times where, one, I can be long-winded, which I'm doing right now. Uh, And two, I think I am so focused on her learning this thing or making this connection I want her to make that I do forget that this is a six-year-old, you know, and an Mm. incredibly articulate and and thoughtful and sensitive and funny six-year-old, but a six-year-old, you know, Mm -hmm. and there are times where I'm just putting too much information there, just too much. So those are my my two big goals. That second one 
resonates with me. The fact that like these kids, when you get to know them and you can see how smart they are and how much their minds are just chewing stuff up and how hungry they are to understand stuff. And it's possible, at least for me, to be so sort of drawn in by that that I forget about like, well, and also this is the brain of a kid and it's different from the brain of an adult and there's different sets of stuff that you want to feed it. Absolutely. And they'll hunger for things that they're not ready for. You know, there are questions they ask, there are concepts that they raise where it's like, yeah, this might be a little bit outside of your weight class, you know, um, and just yep. really taking the time to figure out like, what can I give you that you can receive? And sometimes like we talk to her about things that are, you know, oftentimes reserved for older children, you know, or for mm -hmm. young adults. And I'm going to continue to do that. Um, Cause I think it's important for her to know certain things about the world she lives in and the community she lives in and the school she goes to and, and the people that she's around and her family, but finding ways to do that while just still keeping them light and, and free, you know, light on their feet as free spirited as possible. And mm. I, I have a child who is very, very, very free spirited, but also things weigh heavily on her mind. You know, and, and I can see that. So I want to try to nurture uh, both of those parts of her spirit going into 2020. All right. So listeners, are you making any parenting resolutions for 2020? What are you focusing on as we go into this new decade? Um, send us an email to mom and dad at slate.com. And perhaps we'll talk about some of your thoughts on the next show. All right. So this week we have one listener question. Dear mom and dad. Our four-year-old daughter is growing out of her nap. My husband is a huge napper and has napped at the same time as her for her entire life. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. <laughs> I do not nap and therefore have naturally started taking point on caregiving duties during this time on weekends so the husband can continue to nap. However, on occasions where I'm not around, I believe he should not nap. He thinks if she is next to him on her tablet, that is fine. And he can take an hour or two nap while he can. While she consumes all of the TV and games. I think this is unsafe for a few reasons. For example, bad content on the Internet can be found. Or he doesn't wake up when she walks away and gets into hijinks or normal jinks, but slips and falls off a step stool. Am I being overprotective or is he being selfish by needing a nap? Signed, frustrated, nearly 40-year-old with a 40-year-old napping husband and an unsupervised <laughs> four-year-old. Can I just say, yeah, as sir. we close this year, thank you so much to all of the married moms who write to us, who write to Karen Feeding, who comment on the Facebook group, because... You all make me feel so much better about single motherhood. <laughs> How dare the world try to make me feel as if I am just struggling and pathetic while you all are raising your husbands. <laughs> we are all in the struggle, all of us together, united. Jamila, if you settle down, you too could have a man who takes a two-hour nap every afternoon. <laughs> that's, why, <laughs> that's why I'm waiting until I'm 40 years old to get married. That's why it's taking me a little bit of time. I'm trying to find one who's already finished being raised, so I don't know. I might have to be wife number two or three. I mean, I think biologically the problem here is that when a kid gets to be like four, 
then they start dropping their nap. And yeah. when a husband gets to be like 40, then he starts acquiring new naps. You know what I mean? That's the guy fair. is only going to be napping more from here on. Like I myself have never been a napper. Yeah. I'm now at a point in my life where like if I wasn't in an office doing a job at 4 p.m. every day, yeah. I could quite comfortably go and have a nap. Like I my body would be very happy to nap. I've napped on occasion as, as I, I, I have in this year, I guess a year and a half of not working from an office. I, it's hard to recover though. That's the thing. Like when I, I just want to stay asleep. I don't necessarily. Yeah. If you want don't do it right, it can fuck you up. Two hours though. How do we feel about this? Two that, hours. I mean, okay. So the primary question in terms of like what this mom wants to know is like, is a four-year-old safe unsupervised in the house for two hours. And I think when you frame it that way, then the answer is like our culture has given the answer. No. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. the like understood position on that in our culture. I could imagine in some other cultures, it may be that four year olds like just wander around the right. mountainside completely unsupervised for sure. days at a time in our culture. We say, no, it's not okay to leave a, four-year-old unsupervised for two hours the husband here might say well they're not unsupervised because if like the bookcase crashed down on their head then that would wake me up and i would get up and go lift the bookcase off of them and carry their bruised and broken bleeding body to the emergency room so great job husband but no you can't just like take a nap for two hours in the middle of the day when you're the parent who is supervising your kid you can't do that i think there is a way. So I am pro-nap. I, I am not somebody who takes naps well, but I appreciate them as an institution. I admire people who can just in the middle of the day lay down uh, and, and get back up refreshed. If I could, I would. Um, I, my body just doesn't work that way. My kid wasn't a napper and I didn't force it. You know, like one, we had stuff to do on the weekends, you know, like she would fall asleep in her stroller and Target, but we didn't do like a lay down nap time. Like I didn't keep that with her. The way that a lot of my friends, you know, we like would plan play dates around nap time. I'm like, what? I was going to take the baby to the casino tonight. We're going to go kick it. What you mean I got to do a nap? <laughs> you know, like I was that mom. Um, and it worked out fine. But I think that it's fine for your husband to take a nap. I think that that's the other issue at hand. Like, is it cool for him to take a nap? And I think that because mom isn't a napper, there's a part of her that is annoyed at how much rest he's getting and that he's getting this rest while you're taking on the duties associated with caring for this child in that two-hour window while he's napping. That, to me, is very different than, you know, should he take this nap when I'm not there and it's just him and a four-year-old? No, he should not. And no. There are times um, when you have a child and you're the only adult in the house, it's not impossible to be asleep while they're awake. It's not ideal. You know, when you have a smaller baby who could still be in a crib but couldn't get out of the crib, who could entertain themselves briefly while you slept, that's one thing. It, it, again, it's a difficult dance. I've had to do it as a single parent. You know, there were times where I had a fever and I had to lay down and she was in my house, you know, but she was safe in the crib or in a, you know, pack and play kind of thing. Right. And I wasn't sleep. I was also just laying down and not able to actively engage with her much. A four year old cannot be trusted. You can't trust a four year old while you're looking at them like they've got secret hands. OK, like there, there's something yeah. or, or their hands and feet are all, you know, visible to you. But there's a battery in their mouth. Like you just can't trust them that long. Um, and, and so, Dad, you have to figure out something else for uh, the times when your wife isn't around. But 
I think that the issue with him napping when mom is there doesn't speak to what she has to do in that two hours while her husband sleeps. It's what she has to do the rest of the time when he's awake. Because if he's helping out enough with keeping the room together and, you know, doing the little one's hair or brushing her teeth or taking her to the park and all that stuff, the other, you know, eight to 10 hours of the day that you all might be around each other on a weekend or, you know, depending on what your work schedule is, then him taking that two hours off shouldn't be such a big deal. Um, It sounds to me like you're maybe doing a little bit more than you should have to, which is, you know, understandable because you married a man and that he's getting this big old break right in your face, which is requiring you to do even more. So talk about ways for him to get his chores done before he he should earn the nap. The the nap should not just be your affirmation for being the person who likes naps. It should be because yeah. you've done your work. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think like the way we have done it in my marriage with different degrees of success is that like we each should get a certain amount of time that's our own time to do what we want. If yep. this guy wants to use his time to nap, that's great. Sometimes yeah. like if we can work it out, I go to a cafe and like read a book for an hour on the yeah. weekends and like that's great. My wife uh, is more likely to go to the gym during that time and then like I'm on and you're going to the gym and then you come back and then I'm going to the cafe and then that's the stuff we're doing. If you want to use your time for a nap, that's all fine unless if one of us is has to go out to do a thing an errand or an appointment or some work then the other one is on and you can't be napping when you're on that's just not okay yeah and by the way he's probably been doing it longer than you think um because the four-year-old is starting to not nap but if you weren't there and he was laying a three-year-old down for two hours I don't know too many three-year-olds that took two-hour naps. Most of the kids mm. at that age, it was more, you know, especially if they were in a school setting during the week, it's more like 45 minutes to an hour. So your kid has been climbing off the walls probably for about a year now while your husband's been taking his two-hour siestas. I hate to break it to you. Um, and the kid is fine. Maybe that's an argument in favor of naps. Hey, the, the bookshelf hasn't fallen down yet. Yes, it's worked so far. Nah, got to be awake when the kid's there. I hope that was helpful. Um, Let us know uh, what your husband says. Yes. Good luck with that. And find something that you like to do for two hours just as much as he likes to nap. Make sure that that is also happening, too. So don't Mm -hmm. beat up on the way he chooses to spend his time. You can't beat him up for that if you haven't chosen your own time to be indulgent. Mm -hmm. And that is an indulgence. And we should treat it as such. So go to the spa for two hours. And ask him to pay for it. Listeners, if, if you would like for us to skewer your family in the way that we just did that last one. And I hope that you guys know that it was all in love and all fun. And I'm sure everything is just fine. Um, please send us a question to momanddad at slate.com. And you may hear it on the show. Before we get out of here, we're going to do some recommendations. Gabriel, what do you recommend for us this week? Well, we had a a very nice family holiday, and so we got to consume a whole bunch of, like, family-style culture. I enjoyed uh, Jumanji The Next Level. I enjoyed Spies in Disguise. I got really into an iOS game called Marbleoid, which I have introduced the kids to, which is about rolling a marble down, like Marble Madness, if you ever played that. That's Mm -hmm. pretty fun. But one of the big sort of cultural developments of the past year for me was Leo getting really into Lego and me Mm. getting into at first building Lego with him. And then at this point, it's just like I sort of gently supervise while he does the Lego himself because he can put all the stuff together himself. But as a result of that, I have developed 
quite firm and strong opinions about the merits of different Lego sets. Mm -hmm. I remember when it was. We built two in a row. And one of them was this Ninjago temple, and it was really ornate and had all these great details and structural stuff, and it was really cool. And then the next one he wanted to do was a plane from a Spider-Man movie, and it was just like a big white block, and all of the bricks were gray, (laughs) and you're just like putting gray bricks on top of each other. And just the difference in the aesthetic experience building these two different Lego sets was so intense that I realized, oh, wow, there's probably a whole culture of people on the internet who like review different Lego sets and talk about like the complexity of the build and the detailing and stuff like that. And I I assume there are. I haven't wanted to go on the internet and look at them because who cares what they think. But I Mm -hmm. I have formed my own opinions about them. And Mm -hmm. we did one over the past week um, that was a Harry Potter set of the Whomping Willow, the tree from the Harry Potter books where it Mm -hmm. like smashes the car and you build the car and then you build the tree and then you put the tree in the car so that the tree smashes the car and you can have Harry and Ron like hanging out of the car with their wands and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. So I recommend recommend the uh, Harry Potter Whomping Willow Lego set. Oh, very nice. I feel so bad because I bought Naima Duplos. Mm. Um, I don't think I really graduated to Legos. I don't think I had a strong interest in them as a kid. Um, I had Duplos. I kept them in a red bunny. Uh, It was a storage bunny. It was made by Duplo and it's called a storage bunny. And Mm. my father found that to be the funniest thing he'd ever heard in his life. So whenever he'd always say, like, what's that called? I'm like, the storage bunny. And he just would laugh. To this day, if I call him and say storage bunny, he'll cry laughing. I even found this same storage bunny that I owned as a child online and bought one for Naima as a kid and thought, okay, we're going to do Duplos. Maybe we'll do Legos. And then I stepped on a Lego. And that is really all it took. That's all uh, it yeah, took. Oh, yeah, it's brutal. They are on the ban list in my house along with Play-Doh and Slime. So I really uh. am a very oppressive millennial mother. Um, but a progressive millennial mother. So speaking of my recommendation, <laughs> um, I got Naima this year among her Christmas presents, a Creatable World uh, deluxe character kit. So the Creatable World doll, and it's kind of an awkward name, um, is a gender non-conforming doll that wears short hair, comes with a wig, has a wardrobe of clothes that allow this child Mm. to you know uh express their creativity and you know their fluid gender expression and so naima uh got to know a former colleague of mine who's gender non-conforming this year and i think that was a really great experience and i'm glad that we're having these conversations about gender and identity now so that she's not the kid who's doing harm to a classmate because no one's talked to her about certain things or you know and that's not just about gender nonconformity, of course, but um, that we talked to her a lot about LGBTQ identity and how important it is that she's the kid at school who shows up for the other kid, you know? So whether it's mm. the boy who wears nail polish or the girl who, you know, is super into tomboyish things that like you do not let anybody feel like it's okay to make your classmates feel bad because the things that they like may not be as common uh, among uh, their peers as other things and so this doll is so cool and i was a little nervous about how she would react to it because naima is high femme Mm. she has her moments of she's in the sport she's really into WNBA and the nba you know she can be rough and tumble and but she's super girly you know when especially when it comes to those dolls everybody's gonna wear a ball gown and makeup and stuff and so this doll doesn't exactly present that and she was just so happy and she gave them a name that i can't remember she's integrated them into her other doll collection and it was really cool um and a very adorable doll 
that actually reminds me a lot of Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade's child, who is, I'm not sure, they, I've heard them use both pronouns toward this little person, so I don't want to uh, misgender them, but they are adorable and the doll looks just like them. So check it out, the Creatable World doll. Um, there seems to be a lot of them still available. I don't think there was a heavy marketing campaign around them. I think Mattel was kind of bracing for a backlash that they didn't get, but the doll's really sweet. This is made by Mattel? It's made by Mattel. It's made by Mattel. That's cool. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's that's cool that Mattel is making that. Awesome. That sounds great. It's super cool. They've come a long way with the Barbie line, too. I will admit that I'm a guilty Barbie-loving feminist, but that they have, you know, incorporated different complexions and body types and, you know, looks and hair colors and heights. And, you know, there's a Barbie in a wheelchair and, you know, that they are attempting to modernize this brand that sold so many of us deeply unrealistic fantasies of womanhood for so very long. Uh, I think they've even embraced the queerness of Ken, which is great because come on, come on. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's a cool doll. So happy to have given Mattel a little bit more of my money this holiday season (laughs) as I often do. All right. So that's it for this week's episode of mom and dad are fighting. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Lots of fun. Uh, Dan, feel better. We hope to see you again soon. Uh, And if you have a question that you'd like to hear on the air, please leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or shoot us an email at momanddad at slate.com and join us on Facebook by searching for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Gabriel Roth, I'm Jamila Lemieux. 